0: My name is Johanna Zorn. I've met a lot of you, and I'm really happy to be here. I'm the Executive Director of the Third Coast Festival. Thank you. I'm once again excited to introduce my colleague, Julie Shapiro, the Managing Director of the Third Coast Festival. Julie has worked with me on all aspects of the Third Coast Festival since we founded it eight years ago, and she is the true creative and innovative force that that keeps us moving forward and discovering new ways to explore audio and to recreate the Third Coast Festival. And case in point is the Third Coast Festival Audio Challenge, um, which she dreamed up three years ago the whole idea was to bring anyone and everyone, you know, into making audio by challenging them through this what we call the audio challenge to make a 3-minute generally piece and follow a set of rules to really find three creativity through restraint and constraint. So every year she has dreamed up some super interesting way to approach this and Every year, it surprises and amazes and delights me, and this year was no exception. This year, as many of you know, was Radio Ephemera, and we received 72 submissions from people who work in radio, people who work in other art forms, people who'd never picked some people who'd never picked up a tape recorder before, others who've been doing it for years. And we we're really just so pleased with the results, and we chose four of them to be our short docs. So what you're going to hear over this next session is um, a couple of extra favorites, plus the four short docs that we chose. And um, Julie's going to introduce you to those some of the makers, talk about them, and uh, also we'll introduce you to some folks from Russia from an independent Producing community there who've been doing some other interesting projects and we've formed a cultural exchange with, and they will be presenting Lennon's Ears. So there's a lot to come in this first session, but good morning, Julie. Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It is
1: so overwhelming to be up here and looking at everyone. I feel really feeling it this morning. Yeah, this Uh, is a good group. I have to also, yeah, thank, (laughs) thank you for coming. Thanks very much to Johanna for providing a landscape that we can build and continue to push creatively. It's really
0: important that you let this together we help this happen. So thank you. So let's start from the very beginning. What the heck is ephemera? Right, we should clarify this right away because I think we even
1: started this project and I didn't exactly know what ephemera was. <laughs> Neither did it's like I. this nice word you <laughs> use it seems right a lot of the time and I actually didn't know the exact definition. So maybe some of you are in that same uh, boat, but uh, ephemera is transitory written and printed matter created for a specific purpose and not intended to be retained or preserved. Like things like uh, concert tickets or bus tickets or doctor appointment slips, things that are coming to the world for a specific reason and then they should just go out of the world because their purpose is finished. But ephemera is often lasts way beyond its intended purpose. And instead of becoming outdated and irrelevant, it often does the opposite, and actually it connects us very directly to a specific time, a place in history, and ends up telling us so much about the past, about society, about culture, um, in ways that can relate to the present and sometimes hint toward the future even. Most importantly, what we found out is Ephemera tells great stories, which is very important to a room of storytellers. So that's why we thought it would be a great focus for this year's Public Audio Challenge.
0: Okay, so every year, part of what makes this Radio Challenge work, this Audio Challenge work, is that we team up with a partner. And I was, again, very unfamiliar, but this is something that you knew about through previous, I think through a previous conference that, or was it even through the True False Film Festival that we yes. attended together? Yes. So talk about this okay. year's partner. Well, of course, the
1: connection between all the mediums is um, so ubiquitous now, but um, I did into—I did find out about the Prelinger Library through Rick Prelinger, who I met at a film festival. Um, the library is a private library in San Francisco that was founded in 2004 by Rick and his wife, Megan Shaw Prelinger, and they like to refer to themselves as radical traditionalists. Um, LAUGHTER The images that I hope you got to see while during breakfast, these beautiful images, were all taken from materials in the library and some of them were of the library itself, uh, taken by photographer Jason Fulford, who I'm very grateful to giving us the images to use that he took for a Harper's article a couple of years ago. Um, The the library houses a collection of about 40,000 books, periodicals, government documents, other cultural bits. You'll find things here from Apple-growing history of Washington State to periodicals like American Helicopters, or the Spring 3100 New York City Police Department magazine, or Retail Lumberman, as well as the cornerstone of every great private library, the Candy Manufacturing and Confectioners Journal. So things like Uh this, you know, the shelves are just full of amazing titles of things that you couldn't even dream existed, but they do. Um, the library draws a whole lot of people. A lot of artists end up there, students, punk rockers, collectors, alternative historians, uh, people involved with the independent library culture often make a stop here when they're in San Francisco. And here's what's incredibly unique about this place. It's appropriation friendly. So not only are you encouraged to browse to your heart's content like at any library, you're encouraged to make copies of material that you find and then reuse it however you'd like. Um, They want you to harvest material and then take it and continue its life by using it in your own art or your own studies or your own publications. So basically, the Prelinger Library has become this, ironically, a temple of immortalized ephemera, which is completely, completely uh, doesn't work. It's supposed to go away and they keep it here and immortalize it. Um, And with so much rich and random material, housing thousands of stories about everything under the sun, it was obvious that they would be our dream collaborator for this year.
0: But kind of interesting though, because it's print. And this is where, I have to say, the Julie Genius thing came through, (laughs) because I was like, how do you turn this into an audio challenge? So how did you figure that out? How did you make it into the challenge?
1: Well, partly with Rick and Megan's help, because once they were on board, we talked about the best way to do this. Um, He also curates an enormous amount of um, ephemeral films online, and we talked about using clips from the films. But then we decided that the books, uh, the books and the material in the library would be really great starting points. So Rick and Megan, <laughs> I'll never forget this, sent us like a couple to choose from. They sent us 20 books to choose from to work with. And then the Third Coast staff, we whittled this down to the five books, which became the focus of the project, um, which we can take a look at right here. Trees as Good Citizens, Trailer Ahoy, The Big Strike, The Facts of Life for Teenagers,
0: also known as... That was a favorite one.
1: (laughs) The Stork Didn't Bring You.
0: That was also a favorite one. People love that one.
1: And uh, the last one is Control of Body and Mind. So... (laughs) Um, So these were the starting points that people had, but because we wanted to make it a little bit more difficult and push people a little bit, or challenging, not difficult, (laughs) Um, we asked people to not just pick a book and get inspired, but to pick two books, make some connection between the two books, and throw in the voice of a stranger, all in
0: three minutes. Um, and Julie, it was, was it the title, do you feel, or do you feel like that was the content of the book? What, do you, what were you hoping for? We, I,
1: you, know, it could, it, you could start with the title, and you could start with what the book looked like, but they were actually all browsable through the website. Um, Rick has digitized everything, and they're up there. So I got emails from people... <laughs> who were like, yeah, I read Control of Body and Mind. It was great. You know? <laughs> and then it could be emails from people who said, I wanted to do the project, but I didn't have time to read all the books. <laughs> so I was like, we have to make it a little more clear. So it could, it could be like a chapter title that caught your attention. Some of the connections are very obvious and some are more subtle. And that was sort of the beauty of the project was people could really take it in whatever directions they wanted to.
0: And yet there were some really interesting patterns that evolved, right?
1: <laughs> well, Yeah, I would say that all the books got used to some degree. Um, The Big Strike, not so much as the others. Uh, The one pairing that came up again and again and again was Control of Body of Mind and The Stork Didn't Bring You. (laughs) So that one really uh, sparked people's imaginations. Um, And I also want to tell you these books exist for real. We have a very avid local contributor, Kay Collins, and she showed up at our listening room with four of the books which she tracked down online. We have all five in a like beautiful, serendipitous, perfect for this project coincidence. Rick received a donation like two weeks ago and in it was the missing book, Trailer Ahoy. So oh from Philadelphia to San Francisco back to Chicago. I'm going to put these books in the gallery of more uh, where you can just thumb through them and revel in their beauty. Uh, And and one real
0: quick for the Gallery of More, because of David Green, um, there is this really cool radio ephemera project going on in there with post-it notes that spell out radio ephemera and you can write on any note. Your own piece of ephemera. I have. I hope others will.
1: Yeah, it's a nice way to pull everyone in and immortalize that. We'll get some pictures and put them online. And you can be part, of, this brings you all into the radio ephemera project. So thanks to David for the project, which started with third graders at his elementary school. And we thought it would brighten up the gallery of more and also kind of have this continuity running throughout the weekend. So,
0: so in, getting back to the results. Did, did, were you surprised by what turned up? I mean, is there in a way you can sort of sum up the results? Um, you
1: know, everyone is so different, which you're gonna hear. Is like people just took these in so many different directions. And this happens every year with the audio challenge because there's so many brains working on the same basic idea. Um, a lot of people went the extra mile to find ephemeral audio and in- included that into their pieces. Um, the stories, you know, just like every the stories ranged from gut-wrenchingly funny to gut-wrenchingly sad to intense to light-hearted. Um, they're all over the map. I mean, and they're all online. They'll stay online. So I encourage you to go back and listen to more of them after today or to hear the, the ones we're going to play today again.
0: Well, let's start with to like
1: those. What, did, what, did anything surprise you about this year?
0: I mean, the whole thing surprised me, honestly, because... Because, <laughs> like,
1: we didn't know if it would
0: <laughs> work. I just... I was like Julie.
1: I will say, is this and this work? Is, while we really, really want everyone in this room to contribute next year. Please don't wait till the last two weeks. <laughs> you know, we put the archive up in April, and I think fifty-five of them came in on the last weekend or something. And so it—it just—I uh, believed in it, but I, it was nice as they started to pick up towards the end of the deadline. I, I the, do the remember deadline. saying
0: to you a couple weeks out, "Do you think, do you think this challenge was too hard?" Yeah. You know, we asking, we pushing people too far, but then people totally rose to the challenge. It was just a little later than, yeah. <laughs> than we'd hoped. Yeah, I
1: but think whatever. the ideas it need to in. need to percolate a little bit, like, and then you want to see if you have a, an idea about two books and people. A lot of people told me they switched their books, you know, and but you know, we want to hear this stuff, right? We want to hear it, and I'm going to yes. get off the stage, yes, and you're
0: going to present it, and we're going to meet the people who made a few right. of them. We're here so, to listen to the audio. Here we go. Um, so the first piece we're going to share.
1: I have to tell you guys this is Chris Sewell's first audio story ever and we really felt like he knocked it out of the park so this is um, birth birth rebirth and let's see here's the description that he submitted with as Tom recovers from a traumatic brain injury he and his wife welcome newborn twins into the world inspired by control of body and mind and the stork didn't bring you and the stranger in this piece was Tom who uh, oh we didn't even say yeah, include the voice of a stranger. The stranger was Tom, who Chris had never met before he made, did the interview.
2: What? What? I'm Tom. Uh, the accident was, uh, I was what? hit broadside, and they hit the uh, passenger side, thank God. And um, what? Rolled, I rolled three times. That was in August, August 10th. It's almost a year and my babies were born February 13th, of 2008. I, I can remember certain things before my accident, but I didn't feel like it was me that was doing it. It seems like I was watching somebody else. I mean, I remember um, being married, but I look at the pictures and I really didn't remember. You know, it's, it's not there. I did remember my wife, so she said that was a big relief. But, uh... I think anything that was 10 or 12 years old, I can remember. So in a way, that was good that my kids were born afterwards. So in case I never did get my memory back, at least I can remember that happening. So. Is that Ian and Graham?
1: Yeah. You just saw them a couple of weeks ago. We had dinner at their house. These two? Yeah. You can almost say that after Tom came home, I did have a new husband in a way, and, and not a new husband, like he's a completely different person, but um, little things changed. He was kind of off the charts before in some of his behavior, I guess, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just extremely animated and just the life of the party, and now while he's still, I still see that in him, it's just toned down a few notches.
2: Brother used to say I I wore my uh, emotions on my sleeve. So either I was mad if somebody made me mad, I was I'd show it. And then if somebody, um, you know, if I was happy or something, I would, you know, be excited about it. And I don't have that anymore, which I think is kind of a good thing. You know, let people think, uh, try to figure out what you're thinking. I guess be better in poker. I don't I don't have ambition anymore either. It's just just like a bumping a log, you know. There's some things that just doesn't really matter, I guess. I don't like that. I don't like saying it. But no, I was not excited about the births of my twins. Yeah, I was happy they were born, and I wanted them and everything, but I just can't find myself getting excited about it. About anything. I think it would have been different before the accident. Everything would mean more than it does now. I mean, you can laugh and all that stuff, but does it really make you feel any better, and just, you're, you're just, you're even keel. I mean, you're not sad or nothing, but you just, you know, take it or leave it, kind of attitude, where it wasn't that way before.
1: All right. Uh, I think Chris is here somewhere. Chris? He's back there, if you want to talk to him about it. Um, Another, the next submission I'm going to play is Labor Pains by Rich Halton, who's also here. Rich, over there. And, um, uh, you know, now for something totally, it's completely different. This one is really delightful, a masterful blending of the two books that he chose to use. There's amazing, tight editing, great, smart humor. And cause that's the important thing. Like These stories cover all the topics, but we also got some really great entertaining ones, including this one. Um, whether it's societal progress or a squiggly 11-pound miracle, getting there isn't always pretty. And the books were the big strike and the stork didn't bring you. Oh. <laughs>
3: Possibly open the strike-paralyzed port of San Francisco Fail. Open warfare rages through the streets of the city as 3,000 Union pickets battle 700 police.
4: We are asking for a general strike.
3: Mayor Rossi states the position of his administration. First, that law and
4: honor shall prevail.
5: Enlighten
4: your children.
2: Where
3: do babies come from? Anytime. Teach them the facts
4: of life. Then at puberty, certain glands begin to work and our bodies begin to change.
3: That'll give the organs inside your body room to function better.
5: The better you understand all of Mm -hmm. these facts...
6: Well, what really happens? Oh,
5: what you want to know about is... Mm -hmm.
4: ...is a small pear-shaped organ, normally only about half the size of a fist. The bloody labor strike of 1934 The beginning of the present-day labor movement, from its conception and...
6: Birth,
7: the blessed event that's the culmination of romance and...
4: Passion to change the working life of thousands, even though the employers tried to stifle the strike in the... Womb,
7: the place where the baby develops during a nine-month period. In less ideal situations, the son of an unwed mother is often called A
4: communist, hundreds of them saturating poor neighborhoods with leaflets urging them to support The
7: union of a man and woman when the egg is fertilized by
4: semen. who brought their grievances to the 99-day strike with fiery abandon
7: But some drives need to be controlled and released in constructive paths, else they can run riot
4: Which was caused when police fired into the crowd as things got up
7: As boys mature, they begin to notice changes in... The
4: underbelly of the anti-union movement. So, let's recap. (laughs)
7: Labor
6: Pains.
4: Labor Pains. Labor pains.
1: Thanks, Rich. Uh, Okay, now we're going to move right on to the short doc. So I'd like to invite John and Sarah and David and Megan up to join me. And uh, while they're coming up, I'll just say, we, we had so many really wonderful submissions this year. It was really hard to choose. And even besides Rich and um, Chris's, there were uh, so many others I'd love to play for you. So I, I do encourage you to go to the website and check out many more of them. You all in your right places? <laughs> David? Yeah. Okay. okay. So um, this is our panel of short doxers this year. And I want to welcome you all. Thanks so much for your work and for coming to talk about this stuff. Um, we're just going to go, not down the line, but play them uh, one at a time. And what I want to do is encourage uh, some response from you guys. There's a microphone right there, and we'd like to record all of everything that happens, so please use the mic if you have any questions. And I encourage you guys to kind of chime in about each other's. So um, Let's get started with John Bewin from Durham, North Carolina, in the blue. Um, the audio program director at the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke, a place very near and dear to my heart. Uh, Makes radio for NPR, has worked with American Radio Works, um, often works with a longer format, so I'm especially interested to see how people used to producing long formats work with these three-minute restrictions, and uh, I also was thinking that the Center for Documentary Studies boot camp numbers must be growing, as the Salt Institute are. I
8: think we're up to about 25.
1: All right, so I, I see so, like a future kickball tournament. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was, I guess there was a dance-off last year, um, I don't know if uh, we'll yes. have a repeat yes. of it. So, um, Later John has touched a lot of people in this room's so audio lives and hearts and careers as well, so, um, so, uh, let's listen to the piece first, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, a guy muses on the fears associated with a loved one's body. Control of body of mind, Stork didn't bring you. The stranger, <laughs> the voicemail lady, and his is called Scared.
8: At first, it's physical, like any great love. Those eyes, those hands, those thighs. Really? (laughs) Hey, Harper. What's a kitty cat say? (laughs) The weight of them. On your lap. Climbing on your head. Nobody writes pop songs about that touch, that feeling.
6: What are you going to listen about?
8: I'm going to listen to you. Oh. But riding around inside that little body, there's this person.
2: Over here?
8: A budding mind. He'll do anything to touch.
2: Here you go. Hmm. I made this for you. That special coffee.
8: So this small body becomes the source of your biggest fears. The child's flesh is vulnerable, so you are too. Do you see the blackberries on the tree? I do.
2: But my favorite part about school is going outside. It's paradise. Nice. You all look wonderful in our in your outfits, Mrs. said. I can't wait to learn what all of you want to be when you grow up. Can I have some milk?
8: How old are you now, girl?
2: Eight. Hi, Daddy.
7: Hi. I'm scared.
8: But you have to let go. Let her go little by little.
6: Well, Lindsay said that Kayla said something mean about me. She said al in
8: that way too, in that way, in which her body was never for you.:
0: Next message:
3: Hi, Eddie It's Harper. Um, we're going to be out like on a Girls, girl after get out. Um, just call me on my cell phone like if anything happens or anything, I'll call you whenever I come okay bye) uh-huh.
8: So, girl, how old are you going to be your next birthday? Thirteen. And have you and your mama talked about, you know, the talk? Yeah. Do you think you and I should have the talk? No. 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 (laughs) Good. Good.
1: John, twelve years in the making, came together exactly. in a weekend uh, um, you 've obviously been carrying the idea around with you for a while of doing something about Harper growing up, and how did you, how did it all end up in this piece
8: yeah well it 's kind of funny it 's kind of a flip side of the ephemera idea in that these these recordings were made um, not with the idea of them ever being they were they were meant to be kept but You know, probably an hour a year or so that I record my kids. I'm not recording their lives, but take the recorder home and just to sort of capture uh, moments uh, as at various points in their lives. And um, never thought any had any idea about putting it on the radio or doing anything with it, except until you know a couple years ago I started started to have this idea about some sort of a montage kind of thing. But then thinking, well, you can't. Nobody wants to hear that. So I had this idea of. Besides, you know, my immediate family. I started to have this idea about, you know, this sort of uh, darker undertone of the fears of the parent for, uh, for their child's safety that's so much a part of uh, parenthood. And, um, and just sort of had that idea and was kind of carrying it around with me. And then when, this, when I saw The Challenge this year, I, I looked at those two books and I thought, you know, this could work. But I also thought oh that's too bad I don't have time to do that piece this year darn it you know and then uh, the Saturday before the piece before the deadline that, that <laughs> well, morning I, that. I got up and thought uh, you know it was, the deadline was Sunday night and I thought well this weekend's not too busy um, <clears throat> so I had you know I hadn't written the thing but I had the audio and I had the little piano recording um, uh, that I'd done because I had been thinking about this for some time so I just decided to put it together
1: and how did you um, deal with, you know, using tapes of kids is like, how did you choose exactly the bits that you did that you felt like would resonate most universally? You, when we talked earlier about it, you said it just risked being over-sentimental when you bring your own children in. And sure. What was the filter for you of making it something that other, you knew other people would get as much out of
8: Hmm. I don't know I I, partly it was just that I didn't have very much time and I had sort (laughs) of uh, I had these recordings that I had sort of set aside and I and I didn't even have time to listen to all of what I had but I was just kind of going through I spent a few hours on the Saturday doing uh, Saturday I I basically wrote my you know the narration and I just spent a few hours just kind of listening through and just grabbing things that just sort of you know, stuck out as vibrant in one way or another, and just, you know, threw them in a Pro Tools session and kind of lined them up, <laughs> lined them up chronologically. And, uh, you know, that's all I did.
1: Well, the pacing works out very nicely because it, it, the rhythm of it keeps it sort of drives it forward, but it's, that's partly in the way Harper talks to you, which is just really nice and musical. Um, what were some of the production techniques that are different from what you're usually working with that made it into this piece?
8: Uh, well, one thing was I didn't, I made a point of not. Um, uh, not doing fades on the, the bits of audio. Usually I would, you know, there would be these seamless kind of... And um, uh, that was a decision. I mean, I, I sort of wanted to sort of heighten the sense of these being almost like, uh, you know, photographs in a shoebox that you're just kind of flipping through. And, and most of that you probably don't hear it that much because they don't have that much ambient sound, except in the one place in the middle where I was making it very clear with the, where, she, where there's a bunch of ambient sound outside and she says, I'm scared that I you know had those kind of hard cuts. Um, the music, uh, in this case, that's, that's, uh, that's me <laughs> playing the piano. And that was kind of funny, too. Talk about e- ephemera or something meant for another purpose. I had originally done that. I'm sort of a you know, hack piano player. And ten years ago or so, I had done a I was doing a documentary on child poverty in America, and I had recorded that, uh, was just sort of noodle out this you know, version of uh, itsy bitsy spider with, uh, some mi- in a minor key, and I had done a, a version of that that was used in that documentary, and I recorded it again mm-hmm. at home um, a few months ago.
1: And um, what a, You open with sort of a provocative first sentence, and then it flips into something completely different than what people might expect, and can you talk about that decision a little bit?
8: Yeah, you know, it, um, and, and obviously I was being a little bit cute there with, you know, sort of setting up a certain kind of expectation and then turning it. But, but that really came out of um, wanting to say something that's true and, and trying to find a way to say that. that uh, uh, and, and the other, you know, part of the challenge too is to have, you know, what can a parent say about uh, the love for one's child that isn't a cliche, right? Uh, there's nothing left. <laughs> but but I, it's one thing that I don't think you hear that often maybe especially from fathers is is, um, is how visceral and how physical the love for your children is. And, um, and so it came out of just trying to find a way to say that. And, uh, and obviously the, you know, I was pushed a little bit too by the uh, by the theme, the body and mind, and some of the shaping of this, just the words that I chose. For instance, uh, In sort of making that distinction between the body and the mind was was pushed somewhat by the challenge of the books itself, and I also probably would not have thought to go to the to the whole business about the facts of life, you know, if it hadn't been for for that fact that that book was there. But I really like that because it also, um, besides just being kind of funny and interesting, was that uh, it 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 ends up leading to a kind of uh, allusion to uh, you know a possible next generation. Yeah. To, you know, with, yeah. with that. so.
1: Great. Did anyone have a question for John? Did you log your tape or how did you <laughs> figure out I mean I'm thinking of the practical
3: not the poetic. Uh, how did you figure out what cuts to use in your day and a half, two days?
8: Well um, there isn't that much tape I mean I, they're probably, seriously I, I, you know, I probably don't have I don't know, five or six hours of tape that I've recorded of, you know, of my two kids. I have a nine-year-old son, too, um, in their entire lives. So, and I had um, listened to some of it a couple years ago. I remember thinking, you know, I should, should, uh, in case I ever want to do something with this, and I had actually made a log of, like, maybe 10% of what I had. But mostly it was just grabbing tapes. I had cassettes from the mid-'90s, you know, and... um, uh, and just going through and and f- until I heard something interesting and in grabbing it, it wasn't very uh, scientific.
1: I think the Prelingers would have definitely approved of your methods. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the whole idea of chance and using what what you just stumble upon. Um, okay, well, thank you very much. I guess since you're such an awesome father, we'll hear a story about your son next year and next year's challenge.
8: Well, you know, actually, I owed my 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 daughter one because uh, is Jennifer dear here? There's a piece that uh, <clears throat> on on Big Shed uh, that Jennifer Deere produced using a bunch of tape, much longer piece of me and my son, mm. a couple years ago. It's called No Santa, um, uh, and it's about his uh, his musings and his discoveries about the reality or lack thereof of Santa. More or less a real time kind of piece. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, it's so that's, it's been. I'm done now.
1: right. Done. <laughs> well, we hope you're not done. But um, and, and did Harper hear the piece What was oh yes absolutely
8: yeah. she, was, she was looking over my shoulder while uh, I was making it making week. some suggestions yes
1: <laughs> great but thanks so much John mm. and uh, yes we're going to move on next to um, Sarah Boothroyd's piece this is Sarah uh, her piece is called Forest to Desert um Sarah makes some work for the CBC up in Canada and also for sound art organizations like New Adventures in Sound Art, Deep Wireless, etc. cetera. So um, let's listen and then we'll talk again. Oh, no, it's important. Sarah, Sarah coined a term an audio doodle, which I really liked. Uh, so she claims this is an audio doodle about the phrase, humankind is preceded by forest and then followed by desert. And I think the thought process went Forest versus city, tree versus car, then versus now. Inspired by trees as good citizens and trailer, ahoy! And <laughs> there's an exclamation point after ahoy. Ah, various <laughs> contemporary journalists, here's The Stranger. The Strangers are various contemporary, contemporary journalists as well as narrators from some films that she found on the Prelinger archives, the ephemeral films that Ricks put up online, and the Internet Archive.
4: Is of course oil, the most efficient mobile power source on earth, which has brought a better life to all the people in the USA. An automotive age, traveling on time saving superhighways, Futurama's free flowing channels of concrete and steel. Morning and night, around the clock, the sound of our time's
2: our love affair with a car threatens our national security the and the health of our yeah. possessions. Global warming
9: is probably the problem of global warming.
3: The sea <laughs> ice they leave for hunting on man-in-law is extreme weather scientists' warn.
7: That was very loud.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So um, we have a little visual aid here. Uh, when I talked to Sarah on the phone, I was like, so how did you, know, you come up with the idea? She's like, well, actually, I drew all these things and made these charts. And I was like, do you have pictures of that? And she's like, I do. So here is an illustration of how Sarah's brain worked you know, I, on making this piece. Do you want to talk us through it a little bit? or? I'm a
7: self-professed list maker. I, I like to take all of the ideas in my head and make them external somehow, make them physical or tangible. So I'll be working away on a particular project and then I'll think, ah, I've got this idea for Radio Ephemera, and I'll have a pad of paper and I'll write it down, take some notes, and I'll file it over in the ideas area and and try to to go back to what I'm supposed to be working on. Um, I started by reading through the books, uh, taking a look at the covers, and trying to connect them, you know, circles around each different book and lines between them, figuring out how they might sort of be in conversation with one another, and a really obvious relationship seemed to be between the cars and the trees, and I thought, well, environmentalism, this is top of mind, this is actually so obvious that maybe maybe I'll skip it. But in the end, I found it to be quite compelling, because I went through the Prelinger archives, I went through all of the um, 1950s instructional style films, and I found a few, like Destination Earth and Give Yourself the Green Light, which had these wonderfully ironic, ridiculous, disturbing phrases about cars being the savior of humankind, and I thought, this is just such great audio, I have to put it in, because in light of where we're at today, clearly it's, it's very um, telling. So yeah, that's, that's more or less how it began, and then I, I kind of started thinking about how can I represent these books in sound? like as opposed to writing a story or having dialogue or having interview clips that point to cars and point to trees, I thought, well, what is the sound of trees? What is the sound of cars? And I thought, maybe that's how, how I will reference these books, is just using the audio um, instead of using the particular texts. And then as I was building the soundscape of the trees, I came across the sound of a tree being chopped down. And once I found that, I thought, okay, here's my transition from trees to cars. And then I twigged onto this phrase that I'd heard and I don't know where it comes from. Uh, Man is preceded by forest and followed by desert. And I thought, great, now I've got my device for the piece. This is going to chronologically structure it into three acts where we've got the pastoral, green, idyllic, pre-human earth. And then we've got the really noisy cacophony of traffic and people and words and all that and then in the end we've got this sort of post apocalyptic desert the doom that awaits us all
1: <laughs> A little uplifting thing for the morning
0: yes um, i'm really
1: struck by the tex- the difference of the texture as the piece evolves and the space that you gave on both the beginning and the ending chunks and when you're working in 3 minutes the temptation excuse me the temptation is to cram as much in as possible and you know get as much bang for your buck really you know so how was it challenging to breathe in those moments for yourself and not try to do more? How did you feel about the, um, letting the sounds just kind of last for a while?
7: It was a conscious choice. Um, I actually went overboard on Radio Ephemera this year, and you can find three submissions from me on on the list because I had so much fun with it. I just couldn't help myself. Uh, And the first one that I did, I cut up a bunch of these these vintage narratives and I made it into a story. And it was really word-heavy. It was really text-heavy. And so I thought, well, for my next one, I want to go for as long as possible without having words. I want to see how much of this story how far I can go before I need someone to say something. You know, I'm gonna set the scene, I'm gonna move from one scene to another, and then eventually I'm gonna have someone say something. So I think there's about 30 seconds of just sound that sets the scene. And then at the end, again, it's just sound of that kind of static wind
1: Did you create that or find that online, or how did you create Desert?
7: Well, desert is a combination of a bunch of sounds. I wanted it to be somewhat obscure. I wanted to play with the listener not knowing for sure what it is, as opposed to giving a sound that you can easily recognize, get a picture. Oh, yes, that's a forest. I wanted to create something that maybe is a bit disorienting for people because it's a variety of sounds. It's static, uh, it's wind, it's a siren, it's water. There might be some other stuff thrown in there too. So I didn't want it to be such a literal sound as in the beginning. I wanted it to feel like, where are we now? What what is this no man's land?
1: Yeah. Cool. Any questions from the audience for Sarah? Do, can you explain just? I didn't say very much about the Prelinger Archives online, but just in case other people in the room might find that useful to know as a source.
7: There, it's a wonderful repository for all sorts of materials, from images to audio to moving pictures. It's all up there. Um, it's great for filmmakers. It's great for audio makers. You can basically download a film and then extract the audio. That's, that's how I got the clips. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's no end to the, the wonderful things that are up there. You can spend many an afternoon trawling through it, amusing yourself. Bit of a black hole,
1: Yeah. yeah. Any comment from up here? Should we keep going? No? All right, let's move on. Um, Thank you very much, Sarah. My pleasure. Um, Next, we're going to play Megan's piece, Is That My Imagination? Uh, Megan's a self-professed radio gypsy, independent producer, a salt grad, and has been working with youth more recently, right? And um, are you living in Vermont now? Yes, I am. Okay. I'm still in Vermont. Okay.
10: And enjoying it very much so. Okay. And I just wanted to let you know, John, that there's totally a,
1: a dance off between
10: Salt and Dude.
1: Salt. Part two. Excellent. Um, okay, so we'll listen to this and talk to Megan a little bit. Is that my imagination? Uh, the story of a mind on strike, inspired by control of body and mind and the big strike. And that's. Uh, They will hear it.
9: There's a lot of things that I could tell you that just sound silly. I remember this one guy kept coming up to me and going, who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who? Now, I had never heard that song before. So I just thought, you know, he's warning me, you know, maybe the hounds of hell are going to come out. It's like, is that real? Or is that my imagination working?
3: Does it really matter if I'm hallucinating right now?
4: when the operation of the machine becomes so odious that you can't take part!
9: I remember standing on a train platform, a tube stop in London, and uh, just being afraid that I was going to get bumped and not be able to prevent myself from falling on the tracks, and then it became a question of whether or not I wanted to fall on the tracks, and whether or not I wanted to jump on the tracks before a train.
4: You've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels!
9: maybe I could just jump. I'd finally be able to sleep.
3: Does it really matter that I'm manic and I haven't slept in a few days? days?
9: The flight home was very long because by that point I was uh, so confused. I was to the point of believing that I was going to be executed. That's a long flight to think at every moment that you're gonna die. To believe it. Not think it, but believe it.
2: Does it really matter if I'm depressed?
9: You know, if it spirals, then it spirals. And right then, that's when you lose control and don't really have the capabilities to stop it. And that's why you go to the hospital, because it's a safe place to be, supposedly.
4: Then you've got to make it stop!
9: thought I was in hell. Literally. Like uh, they tried to get me to drink Dr. Pepper and the bubbles, the carbonation were rising up and for some reason in my brain at that moment I thought those were gasps of air coming out from people who were suffering. So I refused to drink it. That's what was going on in my head.
2: Or is it because I act that way and it makes everybody nervous? (laughs)
9: I don't understand everything about how my mind works, but I'm beginning to understand parts of it.
4: Unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all.
9: I really want to change the way people perceive mental illness. You know, we're all still people and we all still deserve a chance to be treated equally. Just a little bit of kindness goes a long way.
1: Quite an intense personal story for three minutes, and I wonder how you approached the subject and explained the project. And I, it sounded like you had a kind of a slightly unusual collaboration for something like this where she was involved.
10: Yeah, um, I had been thinking about interviewing a very good friend of mine about her first experience with bipolar for a, a number of years now, and um, there was something about going through all the books and trying to figure out what could I what could I come up with and that it just kind of connected with that and i decided to ask her about it and um, and she she's been very outspoken about her experiences both with mental illness as well as her um, experiences with the treatment she's received uh, as a patient Um, and and I wanted to allow her a platform, in a way, to express that. She, she herself has... Um, I, I saw her um, perform a poem at an open mic night one time, and the outpouring of people afterwards that came up to her, there were so many people that her story resonated with mm-hmm. that... I just knew there was something really powerful behind what she had to say. Um, And so she kind of, um, when we started doing the interviews, I I didn't really have any clue how I was going to bring in another book. I took the the control of body and mind as my basis for where to go from with this interview. And and really had... (laughs) Scratching my head a lot about how I was going to incorporate another book, and kind of brought her into that collaboration with me to figure out, you know, well, what could we connect it with, <laughs> and um, uh, and and she kind of suggested that this was, um, you know, maybe kind of like having one's mind on strike, you know, this is to to talk to her, she seems as normal as can be. She's a very healthy, happy human being, and, and I think she's a beautiful, beautiful person. And to listen to her talk about her experiences with bipolar, it seems like a completely different um, person, almost. Um, and where am I going with this? <laughs> um,
1: so she, she helped you find the books, and then that led you to yeah. the archival material? Because then you started thinking, like, we'll go in the strike direction. Yeah, so
10: then after that, after we, we kind of figured out what direction to go with it, I, I went in search of um, audio that would kind of bring in, tie in the, the strike. And I, and I like how I've used, there's two different voices you're hearing, in addition to my friend Alyssum. You're hearing um, Mario Savio, who is the Um, leader of the Berkeley Free Speech Movement, um, uh, doing his famous speech, Place Your Bodies Upon the Wheels. And the other voice you're hearing is Tom Wooten. I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name right, but um, he's the author of a a book called The Bipolar Advantage. And I I liked how I used those voices in that it's kind of like voices in your head. Um, I really wanted this piece to Almost place you in her shoes, where you're feeling just as disoriented as she was um,
1: when she's standing on a, a platform thinking about suicide. So there's such manicness in those voices yeah. that her calm delivery really gives you that contrast of how it yeah. must get for her. Yeah. I think that was really. And then these parallels to to the actual text of mm-hmm. the speeches and what she's saying. Did you interviewed her before you found the archival tape, or after?
10: Um, yeah, I interviewed her before. So all of that was just
1: like... Yeah, think, like the whole yeah.
10: like trains and wheels and yeah. just kind of when I found it. The little cheering dance.
1: And she and talks about sleep and then he talks about sleep. And yeah, it's yeah. Just like the beauty yeah. of those moments where you know when you're editing and you just... It all clicks, it's, yeah. it must have happened a few times for you. And uh, where did you... What about the sounds that you used? Were those things you recorded? Did you find them online? Um, I found the sounds mostly either through the Internet
10: Archive, which was an excellent resource which was connected through the Prelinger Library. Um, and then there's um, uh, recordings from SoundSnap, I think, yeah, is my other source, um, to kind of create the audio landscape and that was a very, also a really great resource. I actually was able to find the sound of the London tube <laughs> yeah. Um, to use an actual
1: recording, so it was good. That's cool. A lot of people found their sounds on Freesound or SoundSnap, and um, it has become a really important resource, I think, for all of us. Um, and would you uh, go further with this story? It seems like a, it could be a much bigger story. Yeah,
10: I, I definitely am, am looking for ways to um, go further with this. I have a lot more tape than the three minutes that are in there. And, um, and I know that she has much more story and, I, and it's a, an area of interest to me so I'm still trying to figure out
1: what the angle is. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for all the um, people with programs in the room if you're interested, see yeah. Megan <laughs> in the longer version. Um, any questions from the crowd for Megan? I
5: have, I have a question. Um, because you were interviewing a friend, if you did turn this into a lo- longer format piece, do you think that you would incorporate some transparency about your relationship, do you think your voice would enter the piece?
10: Yeah, that would probably make a lot of sense. Um, in, but I, I, could see, I could see it going either way, honestly. Um, I, I don't feel like my relationship with her is uh, interfering with what I might ask her. She's, she's pretty open about her experience. So and, and I, I find that to be um, a benefit and it allows me to have a level a good level of trust with her But I would never um, and I guess maybe in a way It does interfere because I wouldn't want to use something that she wouldn't feel comfortable with but she's been pretty um, upfront about everything so
11: I hope I can phrase the question right um the way I th- think or thought of um, radio ephemera was as kind of a creative game. I and mean, in, in, I mean, we had the phrase forced creativity from earlier, but it's kind of a game that you play with yourself. And in order to to force some creativity and force yourself to think about content in, in, in a way that you wouldn't have and put it together into something that you never would have come up with without that that framework, you're taking your friend's very personal story and it's it's... I don't know, painful, did not necessarily private, but definitely a serious topic. And did you ever think, maybe I shouldn't try to force the structure of a creative game on this very personal experience? And I think it worked out, and, and, but I'm curious, and how did you get past that? Because uh, I, I think in the end, it, it did work very well.
10: Yeah, I did have a lot of hesitations about... Um, I didn't want to manipulate her story in a way that wasn't true to her experience, her story, um, and and I, I was a little worried about, well, how can I pull some other connection to some other book out of a hat and make it work, um, which is why I am really happy that I went to her and said, what's a good way to connect this um, to some of the other, what resonates with your experience um, in, in a way that's, that's true to her. So, yeah. one more. I was wondering about um, the fact that you didn't make the strike of the mind point, I guess, more pronounced in there, and why you mm-hmm. decided not to. That it was kind of a subtle connection. Yeah, it was a subtle connection, and perhaps that's because it wasn't where I started from. That, that that's what happened. Um, but um, yeah, perhaps I could have made that a stronger connection. I, don't know. I just like to. Add, I really thought it was structured really brilliantly, and I liked how it it started out with this kind of innocuous story that you don't think is necessarily going to go in the direction that it does go in. Um, but I almost wish that she hadn't used the words "mental illness" at the end. Mm-hmm. Like it, it became so explicit. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked holding it in a subtle part, but. I mean, I don't, that's not really a criticism because I thought yeah. overall it was really, really well done. Thank so. you. Yeah, she... Um, near the end, I guess I was kind of looking for a way to leave the listener with something a little less heavy than what I started out with and what I got into with it. Um, and, and her message of, of hope, I feel. Um, her, her passion for letting people know that this is important to her and that... Um, was, was kind of
1: something, a little bit of a lighter note at least. All right, I'm sorry, we have to keep moving, so if you have more questions for Megan, please find her after this session. Um, and we're going to move on to the last short doc, The mm-hmm. Searchers, based on a true story, made by David Earl, um, also somewhat of a newcomer to the radio world. Um, where do lost stories go? Potato pancakes are involved. Inspired by Trailer Ahoy, the stork didn't bring you and trees as good citizens, and the strangers are the good people of big bookstores everywhere.
3: Hello, oh, thanks for calling board center. is Daniel, how can I help you? Hi, I need help finding a book. What book is that? Uh, I don't remember the title, but um, the author's last name is the first name, and the title is about a, it's a tree. Um, think it's, I think it's deciduous Anything else like what the story's about? Or? There, there's this school teacher that faints because she has this counted of Meyer and he, he, he urinates her initials in the snow I think, I think Hemingway liked this book uh... I, I, I think the tree lost its leaves in the winter I'm pretty, I, I remember that being a big part of it that doesn't sound familiar at all. Uh, it's a really good book. It's. I. I wish I could. There was a Civil War veteran in it. I. He makes. He makes a house out of tin cans. I don't know if that's going to help. Well, let me see what's out there. Okay. Thank you. Okay. What's the book? Um, I'm afraid I don't remember the author or title. Okay. It had to do with a a, a boy who that uh, when he jams like pieces of metal into his braces he could pick up radio broadcasts. And at one point, in order to boost the signal, he bites down a fork, uh, one point, I think a chain-link fence, maybe even, like, a trailer hitch or something attached to, like, a big old aluminum Airstream trailer. And he finds out that, uh, there are these, um, fat aliens that are planning an invasion of Earth, and, uh, their plot for world domination somehow involves potato pancakes. I mean... Kinda of sounds like something familiar, but I can't really put my finger on it, you know? I mean if you can maybe think of something close to the title or you No, know, all I remember is red, happy tooth, fat people, potato pancakes, braces, chain link fence, radio. Yeah, that, that's all I remember. Can we put you on hole real quick, okay?
6: How can I help
0: you? I'm looking for a book. Okay, go for it. Might have had baby in the title, okay. the story of a bunch of young girls who are on a cruise with their family. Okay.
1: The cruise ship is going to go down and they land on an island with so two sisters and then these three babies. And they have to kind of live mm. on hardtack. And um,
3: they meet a man on the island. He's sort of grumpy, but he's, he
0: has something. He's missing a big toe, I think. And at one point, I think they see a stork flying overhead, something like that. Uh, Baby Island by Carol Brink. Twelve-year-old Mary Wallace and her ten-year-old sister Jean survived the wreck of an ocean liner on its way to Australia and managed to make it to a
3: seemingly deserted island in a lifeboat with four babies.
0: Hmm. That doesn't sound like it. Thank you. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll call my mother and see if she can remember it. Okay. Okay, thank you. Bye.
1: thought we'd end on a, crowd, a laughing crowd pleaser as opposed to the others um, so David how did you make this piece we were totally confused were they real books were they real stories were they real people
12: yeah no those are, uh, those are all real books does anyone um, have a
1: clue as to any of the yeah titles? I would love
12: to know if anyone actually recognized any of the, the stories really what, which baby I- <laughs>
1: oh.
12: Carol Brink Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> it does exist what's that
12: Yeah, no, that's actually um, Linden on the Saugus Branch by Elliot Paul and uh, Yes, of course <laughs> And then uh, um, the, the second one is, is re- it's, uh, Fat Men from Space by Daniel <laughs> Minnis Pinkwater So Yeah, they're all, they're all real books um, So, I, yeah Yeah, yeah did, how oh, did well, um, I, I was just I was really interested in the idea of um, of how people remember books and, you know, especially, you know, books from a long time ago that you ha- have some impression from and often books from childhood or, you know, and, and they're there, but they're not there, you know, and, and this awareness that they're somewhere in the universe and if I could only find that book, yeah, you know. It's uh, yeah, Yeah, and, and so I just asked um, friends of mine to, to call me and describe uh, hopefully, you know, somewhat obscure books. I, I had a few that were yeah. more recognizable. but um, and, and then, and I actually wasn't sure what I was going to do with it at first as I started to record people um, calling in. Um, and then I just sort of realized that this has to have another element of someone, you know, trying to find those right. books. And that's where The Voice of the Stranger came in. And that's a really good example of how the constraint works so well yeah, because to go find I, that. I actually really thought of that At the same time, because I needed a stranger, yeah. Cool. So, yeah.
1: And then you, so you talked to them, and then, if I have this right, you called the bookstores. Yeah, par, You sort of took your friends' descriptions and paraphrased. Exactly, yeah. And then combined the two recordings.
12: Right, yeah, that was... (laughs) 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 And I I was one of those irksome people that did it last minute. Like, not only last minute, but literally, like, at, (laughs) at midnight. In Los Angeles, I was trying to put this together and yeah. had just thought I need, you know, clerks at bookstores, so I, I actually um, I had to call Hawaii because it <laughs> was the, only, the time only Yeah, happened? it was the only place where there are still people working with the <laughs> time difference That's so.
1: great, well we pulled in Hawaii somehow, so thank you very <laughs> yeah, much sure. thank you. Thank That's you.
12: right, all 50 states Yeah, so, yeah. so um, yeah, that's how it, how it happened but then and I had to cut everything together to make it sound, you yeah. know, like they were actually talking to each other and um, I just really lucked out, you know. I mean, like Baby Island, I, I my friend Polly, who, you know, we sort of, we, we were kind of, I asked them to, to describe books, but I also kind of fed them things or worked with them, like, you, you know, when there was a something, we needed a reference to one of the books. Right, because they knew um, the,
1: the book titles that you were working with. Right,
12: and I would just throw it, I would say, okay, what can you do, like, how can you, what can you do with with a trailer hitch? Or
1: so you directed a little bit. Yeah, okay. yeah, definitely, definitely.
12: But then, but then, I just lucked out because Polly, at one point, we, you know, sort of doing it almost like an improv theater thing. Yeah. And she said, and she's an improver, uh, actor, and um, and she said, oh well, I don't. No, that's not it. I'll just, I'll just ask my mom. And then, <laughs> and then the woman who 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 found Baby Island was just extraordinary. Yeah. And and you know, it just, it just fit, you know, just went together so it sounded like she was, and so that was you know, very lucky.
1: And one more quick question because we're getting short on time you told me you thought that in the end this would be moodier and this process would give you kind of a more evocative serious piece and it just ends up being hilarious.
12: (laughs) Yeah, well that's um, unintentional as (laughs) so often Which is why it (laughs) makes it funnier I guess Yeah, yeah. no I mean it did uh, that's disingenuous because I did it at some point Say oh yeah this this is funnier than yeah. than and that just helped I mean I, I yeah I mean, three minutes kind of is, is good too because you kind of have to be punchier yeah you know at, at least with something like this like it like mood m- mood is difficult to it's it's you know like being evocative in a structure like that can be uh, challenging it just turned out to be not not really um, what the piece was calling for I mean I just like people were. The the books were so the the bizarre ones were the better ones, you know. And I was I wasn't expecting, um, you know, to have such great great material, so it just had to be funny. Yeah.
1: Well, I want to thank all of you for making great stories and coming up here to share them with everyone. Feel free to find these people over the course of the weekend and listen to the rest. Um, We'll be announcing next year's audio challenge. Probably early February or March, so please keep your ears open, and I hope you'll all submit. So we have one more thing this morning. I'm going to invite Andre Alekverdov to come up. Thanks, guys. Um, so Andre is one of the five people who came from over here from Moscow and or Russia to be with us today, and it's really a pleasure to have you back. He actually, this is actually his second, third coast festival. He was with us back in 2001 at the very first one with his colleague Natasha, and since then they have been back in Russia building. From scratch, um, FNR, the Foundation for Independent Radio Broadcasting. Did I get that
5: right? Uh, well, actually, uh, Foundation it's, for hello, and I'm, I'm really happy to be here again. And thanks, uh, the Third Coast team, to uh, making it happen. Uh, it was not we actually were, uh, what we did from scratch is that we organized a radio festival in Russia, not not FNR because we. Um, actually, the organisation works for um, 16 years. Actually, it was started by the BBC World Service. It was kind of a uh, charity project. And uh, but after we came here, we really thought that we must do something uh, like Third Coast Festival uh, for Russian uh, radio makers. And we actually borrowed. I was told many ideas from uh, Happy to from share. the third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and thank you for that and uh, well, actually, just um, to tell you who we are, we are a um, not for profit organization that is uh, producing uh, producing radio programs, offering training for radio journalists and we 're trying to actually to uh, make radio sound as radio, not just a commercial entertainment music and this kind of thing which is I believe is the same all over the world and uh, especially in Russia a really huge commercial sound there is no no real uh, radio and we were trying to make programs and to show how it could be done and maybe encourage people to to do the same. Are you you
1: finding a lot of young people getting involved um, here oh. we, we have like a lot of younger people in the room, and, and you feeling that same excitement and curiosity from the younger people? Uh, in we
5: actually do, not many, not really, uh, well, compared to the sort of dimensions of the country, we are not. Uh, but there is a team or the community of people, very enthusiastic and young people who can do uh, and who want to do the radio, want to do some, I don't know, features, sound art, whatever. And they. Uh, try to uh, th- sometimes they work in the commercial radio stations but they want to do something uh, beyond their daily duties. So uh, for a long time we uh, we had a uh, an agreement with Radio Russia which was the uh, radio channel, the, the main national radio channel uh, who gave us a slot for our programs but um, a couple of years ago, for obvious reasons, they actually said that no, we will broadcast only the programmes of our own production, and we faced the sort of the reality that we don't have any channel for broadcasting our programmes. So, out of despair, we turned to internet, and very quickly we found that this was the cutting edge sort of radio and the internet and so now we're trying to uh, develop a website which is called Podstance or Podstation or radio exchange uh, which actually is encouraging people to make programs, uh, to post them, to Comment on them, to uh, discuss them, and this is for professionals and amateurs that want to make sort of kind of professional programs, play with sound, play with uh, um, sort of different angles, uh, finding really interesting human stories.
1: And do you find that people are are finding out about the site, and you're you're hearing from people that you didn't know about previously, and sort of building the whole? FNR community that way
5: uh, yeah. well actually we have people who, uh, who we know who um, uh, were uh, trained by, by us who uh, came to us for internships for, for seminars uh, um, and who for, for the festival that we run and also there are people who we didn't know who just appeared out of uh, nowhere. We didn't, uh, sometimes they, they, they are not uh, journalists but they are really inspired by the possibility of doing something uh, interesting and challenging.
1: Great. Can you, um, so we're going to hear a piece that FNR uh, created especially for the festival. Can you just set that up a little bit? And then we'll...
5: uh, yeah, that was the challenge called Lenin's Ears. So, uh, the idea was that it is a known fact that Lenin um, actually liked radio, loved radio, and he uh, sort of considered radio to be one of the miracles of uh, the, the 20th century. And also, we know that the futurist, um, for example, a futurist poet, Mayakovsky, was sort of writing poems like Talking to Lenin to His Portrait. And all this gave us an indication that there might be some kind of uh, sort of Lenin uh, lying in his mausoleum, sort of uh, by means of many many uh, statues and monuments all over the country, is kind of listening to us is controlling us uh, and that was the 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 idea behind that so the, there is a kind of a legend, but it 's not that much of a legend if you uh, look at the reality of life so uh, what we thought, uh, the challenge was, we asked people, our, um, our colleagues, to make, uh, um, so the, the idea was the, uh, that Lenin was listening, but the batteries are dying, and so there's very little limited time left, so what, uh, what would you tell this guy uh, at the very last moment? So we asked people, uh, to tell a story, a human story, that um, not necessarily should have been connected with Lenin himself, but it was a human story that people would like to tell via a Lenin monument or a Lenin uh, sort of street uh, to, the, uh, to the former leader of the Soviet Union. And we had very, uh, yeah, we had actually, uh, the challenge had uh, conditions. There must be a human story, there must be a human sound, Uh, and there must be a superhuman sound because Lenin uh, is known to have been listening for Beethoven's Appassionata, sort of exclaiming, what a a superhuman music and uh, actually uh, the story uh, must have uh, either started or ended at the Lenin street in the Lenin street or at a Lenin monument sort of There was another, like a short dog challenge, Uh, the 40 seconds, what Lenin could listen in his last 40 seconds before the batteries die. And also there was a farewell to Lenin, Uh, prominent artists, politicians, and many people uh, sort of were uh, addressing Lenin um, and saying goodbye, sort of wishing... Yeah, So, um, sorry, we don't have much time so uh, if, uh, if you could come to this ninth floor
1: um, Yeah, the, the FNR is going to have a table in the Radio Haven room and from 3.30 to 4 each day they'll be around and happy to talk to you more about what they're doing over there in Moscow, some really exciting stuff I will say I've been to the festival a couple times and it has that same excitement and intensity and passion, there are younger people there are older journalists, everyone, they're really curious and dedicated to uh, bringing r- radio to Russia, that is more creative, and um, they're just creating a community there, very like the one here in this room.
5: So, uh, what I would like you, uh, to play to you is a kind of a legend uh, that is behind and maybe explaining the whole the, this the the setting for this challenge.
6: There are no knows. There are things that we know. You mean to say that. these
4: are what facts?
6: Mm. I mean documented.
4: Documented. Mm. I
6: believe they happened because, because someone somebody, uh, they said they did. Said,
4: said they, they did. did. Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> In 1917 the Bolsheviks, under the leadership of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, seize power in Russia. The mighty Soviet Union is born. The country destined to break the chains of history. And the radio would play its role on
5: Ilyich's face when he first heard the broadcast then his eyes slightly narrowed and he looked far off into the distance how much radio offers the people it is the miracle of our century
4: but tragically this tuner of world revolution this radio enthusiast was struck down too soon Oh, all right, all right. Across the Soviet Empire, they construct memorials to the man. Statues in cities, statues villages, statues forests, statues parks, statues and forests, and more statues in
6: cities, villages, and, and forests. Oh. There are known unknowns That is, that to, is say to say there are, there are things, things that we know, we, know we, don't we don't know
4: This is very fact ends and legend
6: begins Not so much a divorce as a trial of separation
4: A creative commons of truth
6: With some rights reserved
4: The procedure was not a simple one Technically quite complex One wrong turn down in Nietzsche's ear canal and. You can't imagine how my friends should.
6: But once the transmitter was in place, Lenin lying in state, the Kremlin mausoleum, his ears, his agents. His station's dial set to statue. He listens in on his loving flock.
4: In cities, cities, statues, statues,
9: statues, veterans, parks,
11: parks, parks, and More
4: statues. all these years he has been listening. A utopia of drive-way moments.
7: lonely what if he's Smile. Smile.
8: nothing lasts forever
6: you can't always get what you want
5: all we are is dust in the wind Do not fear the Reaper.
4: There are things we
6: don't know. We don't know. For example, what do you
4: tell the man who has heard everything
6: in cities, The batteries, the batteries. Oh, of course,
4: they're Pops. dying.
5: Thank you. Okay.
1: so i know this you also produced in russian as well right
5: oh yeah uh we have all these stories, you can come and listen to all these uh, stories that we recorded, that were sent to us for, uh, by our journalists. And there is a Russian version and uh, English version of this uh, legend as well.
1: And the Russian gang, the crew, is right over here. So please, um, if you see them wandering around this weekend, take the time to introduce yourself, share your stories, and um, hear some of them, because they've got great ones to tell too. Thanks, everyone.